Virginia House delegate Tim Anderson joins Shout Out Patriots to talk about his lawsuit against Barnes & Noble. He wants that company's bookstore to keep child obscenity out of the hands of minors. A Virginia court has already ruled there's probable cause that such books as Gender Queer, sold by Barnes & Noble, should be considered obscene for minors. I'm Martin Moyer, your host of Shout Out Patriots. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Bender and other Patriot guests. Together, we're taking a close look at the children's book, Gender Queer. Is it artistic literature or child obscenity? There's no wavering in our verdict. It's obscene to give minors access to X-rated material. Welcome to Shout Out Patriots. I'm your host, Martin Moyer. And joining me today is Pastor Jason Bender of the Patriot Church, Alec Rooney, who's the news editor of Christian Action Network, Michael Moyer, our producer. Out in Columbus, Ohio, is attorney David Carroll, who is the chairman of the board for Christian Action Network, which is the sponsor of this program. We also have another attorney and also a House delegate from Virginia joining us. His name is Tim Anderson. Delegate Anderson, thank you for joining our show today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So a little bit of background from you. You just uh, uh, became a delegate in Virginia's 83rd district this past year, and you won your race against uh, an incumbent, Nancy Guy. And uh, it was a close election, wasn't it? So you won by 663 votes. Were you up all night waiting? <laughs> We actually uh, were told uh, very early, I was the first race called in Virginia that we were going to win. We had about a 4,000 vote lead um, at 8 o'clock, and uh, we saw it tr trickle down, but we knew we had enough of a lead. Um, so I was the first race called uh, that to pre-projected to win uh, that was in the contested race. And my race was uh, called Majority Maker. Uh, there was uh, seven seats that had to flip in Virginia. And uh, I was one of those seven. So uh, it was uh, a lot of interest uh, across the Commonwealth, across the nation, to watch the uh, Virginia House of Delegates uh, flip from a uh, complete Democrat control to Republican control. So yeah, it was uh, it was not as long of a night for me as uh, as I thought, but um, uh, happy to uh, happy to be in in the in the House of Delegates for sure. Did you get to see your lead sort of eroding away gradually over the evening? Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was the nightmare scenario that uh, you know we watched in other races, but uh, we knew how many people voted, and we knew how many uh, absentee ballots were out there, and uh, and yeah, it was it was a little nerve wracking to watch that lead chip down, but uh, but we knew that there was no statistical chance of, of of losing when we had as much of a lead as we had early on. Uh, Delicate Anderson, you were born in Springfield, Missouri. And now you're in Virginia. What brought you to Virginia? Uh, I went to uh, undergraduate in Florida, and then I w went to uh, law school in Virginia Beach at Regent University. And uh, graduating from Regent uh, in 1999, I uh, fell in love with Virginia Beach and, and uh, stayed. And so uh, I've been I've been in Virginia since 1996. Longest place I've ever lived in my entire life was uh, Virginia Beach, and consider it. Uh, uh, home. Uh, have a wife and uh, kids, and this is uh, this is our roots. And I take it uh, last November is the first time you ran for political office, or are you a seasoned candidate for office? 
Yeah, so I ran for office one time previously. Uh, it was in eighth grade for school president. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I took all the lessons I learned from that from that SCA election and uh, and put that to full force in use when I was uh, 47 years old at that point. Wow. So you still had your eighth grade notes with you, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, I still remember it was a bitter contest. And uh, yeah, it was uh, a funny, uh, a funny uh, that SCA president was not much different than what uh, what I went through last year, just a, a lot more television advertising. Delegate Anderson, what, encur- what encouraged you to run in last November? Uh, so uh, I've been uh, in the political arena for quite a while um, in the, uh, on the lawyer side. I've, I've represented politicians and sued uh, for political reasons, and so I've been in this arena for quite some time. Uh, and my um, the idea was is that I would maybe run for attorney general last year, uh, which would be a statewide office. Never ran, you know, for any kind of an office before, uh, and uh, that that seemed to be a little bit of line jumping. Uh, I didn't want to do that. And uh, when I looked at the political landscape, the seat that I was uh, challenging where I lived was one of the seven that had to flip, and the Democrat that held it. Was was much more on the progressive side of things, and so uh, she absolutely had to go. And uh, I felt like I, you know, had a real shot at taking taking that. And I found myself in a three-way primary for the Republican nomination, uh, and won that. And then um, ended up, uh, you know, uh, winning the uh, general election last November, uh, and uh, helping my party and my team uh, take the majority back in the House of Delegates. So we have you on our show for a particular reason, but before we get to that, uh, when you were running, what were your top campaign issues? What do you think pushed you over the edge, and how'd you beat Nancy Guy? Yeah, so, uh, you know, in Virginia, we uh, are not unlike any of the other states. We were uh, maybe a bellwether for the nation uh, because we were one of the few states that were picking picking people uh, in office, you know, in our state. Uh, Democrats had full control of government. All of the um, all of the levers. They had the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general. They had the House of Delegates. They had the Senate. They had every arm of government. And uh, the Democrats dramatically changed policy in Virginia over the two years that they had this. Um, they uh, dramatically changed criminal justice. They uh, impacted education. Uh, the the state the state from just went from a nice conservative state to um, a left of California in two short years and so what we talked about not just me but uh, all of the people running for office is the things that everybody was really concerned about um, crime was way off the charts uh, you know kids were having to wear masks the schools were virtual uh, there were vaccine mandates. Uh, at every corner, people were being fired from their jobs if they didn't take the vaccine. Kids were being told they had to wear masks even, uh, and we're going to start having to take vaccines. Uh, we watched college football games uh, have 80,000 people with no masks, but kids in college had to wear masks to sit in a 20-person classroom. Um, we watched the governor close churches and arrest um, pastors for having church while liquor stores stayed open. Um our governor came up with this crazy uh, idea of um, 
essential and non-essential businesses. Um, and uh, basically, if you were a corporate chain store, you faced no interruption. And if you were a, a small business, you could only have 10 people in your business, regardless of the size of it. And so uh, we were just in a very awkward time where uh, we just saw extreme government overreach. And we pounded that. Um, we pounded education. We talked about parents having choice and decision making in, 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 their, in their options. And we, we saw uh, the Democrats change rules on how uh, principals would report crimes uh, that occurred in schools. They were allowed to cover crimes up. And uh, we had a, a, a situation in Loudoun County, which made national news, where uh, a child was sexually assaulted in school and it was covered up. And then the kid was moved and the perpetrator sexually assaulted someone else. And um, I mean, it's just been really, really bad here in Virginia um, because of this criminal first, victim last mentality that they've had, this defund the police movement, which was amplified times 100 in Virginia. So we just, you know, we just talked about kitchen table issues and um, we captured for the first time in a decade all three uh, statewide offices and the House of Delegates. And Virginia has been pretty pretty reliably blue. Uh, for uh, the statewide offices, especially uh, for over a decade. And so um, just talking to people about things that they care about. And, you know, like I've, you know, like I've told um, many people, if you want to get a, a light Democrat soccer mom to vote for the GOP, just tell her that, you know, her kids belong to the schools when they're in the schools, um, which is what the Democrats have always thought, but they're starting to say it out loud. And uh, Joe Biden's saying it out loud still that, you know, the children belong to the schools, parents have no rights. You keep saying that and you're going to get the soccer moms uh, that will completely, you know, uh, resist that kind of mentality. Um, and so uh, and they're still doing it. I mean, they, they don't they haven't learned their lessons. They still feel like their their policies are right. And uh, that's how we won. And we all talked about the same things. We never, there was no off of message. We were all just talking about those things. That's what got us over the, over the finish line on all these offices. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, it sounds like a silly question, but uh, those campaign issues that you did run on seem kind of obvious that uh, this is what America would like to see their state, their country uh, be and the positions they would like to take. But do you think the Democrat leadership in Virginia has learned any lessons from last November's election, or do you think they are going to dig in their heels and continue to promote this super government, anti-parent, uh, pro-transgender policy uh, as they have been doing before November? Yeah, I think I think I don't think they've learned their lessons. I really don't. I mean, and and you can see it still in Virginia, even on the gas tax, which this is an innocuous thing, but we have record inflation right now, and. Gas is $5 a gallon in Virginia, and we've been trying to uh, suspend our state gas tax, um, and uh, Democrats want nothing to do with it. What are they saying? How, what is their argument against that? It, it, it's just obstructionistic. Um, and so we've, we've proposed it multiple times and tried to take it at different angles, and you know, it's good enough in Maryland. I mean, Maryland, it has a super Democrat majority in Maryland. It's happening there. It's happening in other northern states. In fact, President Biden just today said he's starting to think about a national suspension of the federal tax. Um, but, but they're not doing that here. We've given the Democrats ample opportunity to revisit their policies. And um, uh, they gave sentencing credits to people with child pornography. And I had a bill that, that tried to repeal that. And they said no to it. 
they've, they've really messed up bail for violent offenders and people are coming out on bail with violent offenses. We gave them an opportunity to fix that and they've said no, uh, they don't want to do that. Um, we've given them an opportunity to correct most of their extreme policies and they are saying no to it. In Virginia, we have all the, uh, GOP has all the arms of government except for the Senate. The Senate has a comprised of 40 members and 21 of them are Democrats, 19 are Republicans. And so they have a small majority in the Senate and uh, every opportunity they've had to kind of pull back from the extreme left and come back more center, they've refused. And so uh, I don't think they've learned their lesson. I think, you know, they're going to get shackled on the federal level this year. And uh, as long as Joe Biden stays president, <laughs> we're probably going to have a good year the next year uh, because uh, they just are doubling down. Yeah, so you made some uh, good statewide news when you won in November, but boy, you really hit the national news media recently. And uh, you did that by, I'm assuming, uh, because you brought a lawsuit against Barnes & Noble, right? That's where uh, I can trace all the news coming back to your name is uh, – you're mad at that bookseller. So why don't you tell us what you're doing? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're uh, not unique in Virginia on this issue, but uh, there are books that are in the public school libraries across the country that are uh, just pervasively vulgar books. Um, and uh, one of the books uh, is a book called Gender Queer. Uh, number one contested book in the country and uh it, it's a it's a there you go that's the picture of it uh it is a um called a graphic novel and uh think of it like a comic book and uh, essentially what this book uh purports is uh, it's a it's a story of this woman's uh self-autobiography of uh going through being born a girl and wanting to be a boy and uh, and that's fine, you know. That's you know that in of itself is is you know that's that's the book's subject matter. But the book is pervasively sexual and pervasively vulgar. Uh, there are there are images in the book that uh, clearly show uh, children performing fellatio on each other. Uh, there are images in the book that uh, are uh, sexual in nature uh, in every in, in just of, of how these are. And these books are in. Uh, libraries that are available to 14-year-olds. Uh, and uh, parents have been crazily mad about this across the country, and they've been going to their school boards and fighting to have the, this book removed. And in Virginia, what happens is, is these books get into these school libraries, and uh, the parents don't know they're there, and the kids have unlimited access to them, and the kids can check them out without their parents having any say. Uh, and it's not just this book. There's dozens of these books that are uh, graphic novels or just novels in novel in nature that are extremely sexual and extremely graphic. And so school boards have been slow to do anything um, uh, about this. And so uh, we looked at uh, an obscenity statute that we have in Virginia and, and said, let's, um, let's ask the court some limited questions. We, put, we picked uh, Gender Queer, which is the graphic novel, and then we picked a book called The Court of Mist and Fury. And we asked the court to review the books and asked a limited question of whether the books uh, could be considered obscene for viewing by minors. Um, and uh, the court took a look at the books, and the court found that there was probable cause to believe that the books uh, might be obscene 
to minors. Now, uh, it's the first time this has ever happened that I know of uh, anywhere in the country. Uh, and uh, when the court found that probable cause, um, this is a lawsuit that we filed that's actually between my client, uh, his name is Tommy Altman, and uh, a, uh, uh, the book publisher and the book author. And, uh, you know, we're suing them uh, to determine whether these books are inappropriate for minors, um, uh, sexually obscene towards minors. And uh, when the court found that there was probable cause, we asked the court to now start restricting distribution of the books. Um, and uh, Barnes & Noble sells these books. Uh, there's no age restrictions on the books. And uh, we, are, uh, we asked the court to restrict Barnes & Noble from selling them. Uh, and we asked them the uh, court to restrict the libraries, the school libraries, um, from uh, being able to distribute them to children without parental consent. You know, the media has spun this in all kinds of untruthful ways, but the reality here is this, is that this isn't a book banning lawsuit. We're not trying to ban the material from the public. We're just simply saying it's super sexual material, uh, super sexual content material. It's uh, obscene to juveniles, and we want the court to restrict juveniles from having unlimited access to them. If a parent wants to uh, get their, uh, let their child have access to them. The parent needs to check out the book or buy the book and, uh, you know, they can give it to them. Uh, it's not a novel concept. It's exactly what we do with movies. Um, children can't go in and watch an R-rated movie. Uh, children can't buy uh, violent video games without their parents' consent. And so we're, we're simply following the models that exist in other areas of uh, media distribution. And uh, we're making progress. Uh, we're making so much progress that the booksellers and uh, Barnes and Noble and um, and the publishers and the authors have hired the biggest law firms in the nation to come in and uh, litigate this issue in Virginia Beach. Uh, so uh, it's Tim Anderson uh, versus twelve other law firms, biggest law firms in the country on First Amendment issues. And uh, we're having the time of our life down here in Virginia Beach doing it. So um, absolutely driving them crazy. Um, they are 100% uh, wrong um, in, their, in their arguments and in, in their concepts um, on how the law works. Um, juveniles are not many adults. They're not little, little adults. They are children and children uh, being exposed to super hypercharged sexual content, children giving each other oral sex, um, is harmful. It, it's, it's obscene. And uh, it may not be obscene to an adult, uh, but it is obscene to children. And uh, we're asking the court to, uh, uh, to basically, at the end of this, if we win, uh, what will happen is, is we're going we're gonna to create probably the first book rating system in the nation which is the book, you know, the court's going to say these two books are uh, too graphic for children and you can't sell them to kids, um, which will be the first time we'll, we have seen this happen in the nation. And obviously the, um, the publishers and the authors and the agenda-driven American Librarian Association uh, are going to do everything they can to stop that from happening. And that's, uh, that's where we find ourselves right now uh, in Virginia Beach, ground zero. So I read... Uh, every word of this book and looked at every photo and illustration in this book. Um, and even though it's all very, very bizarre, 
The thing that I walked away from that was most intriguing and most bizarre about this author is the book has a girl who thinks she's a boy. And as that boy, she likes or he now likes other boys, which she now declares herself to be a gay boy. But in reality, she's just a girl that likes boys. I'm lost. I know, isn't it? And you're going to push this stuff on kids to try to understand that in their life and to try to make sense of it. So a girl out there who likes boys but thinks she is a boy is now a gay boy. It, it just, it's all very, very bizarre. We have some uh, photos to put up here that are in that book. But, Michael, before you do that, I, w- I want to say this. Uh, Back in the early 90s, we led a campaign to defund the National Endowment for the Arts because it was funding all of this obscene anti-religious material. And we actually had the photos of what they were funding in our office, so we knew what was in these pictures. But the media would always portray it as though somehow Christian Action Network is against women exposing their breasts and we're so um, prudish and squeamish that we're trying to inflict our morality on other people. So with that narrative that papers like the Washington Post would put out there, we decided we would take these photographs around the nation. So we got a big stagecoach bus. I think we actually got one that was formerly uh, rented by Aerosmith to do one of their tours. So it's a pretty big bus. And we went to various cities across the nation with some 30 photographs of what the National Endowment for the Arts was actually funding. And we're talking about pictures such as testicle stretch with the possibility of a crushed face. Now, you could try to imagine all you want of what that picture really was about. But if you actually see the picture, it would absolutely shock you that your tax dollars went to fund it. They also funded a picture called Pothead, which they took a real human being that had died, cut off the top of that person's head, planted pot in top of his head, grew it so that there was marijuana coming out of that head and called it Pothead. Now, this doesn't sound like a bunch of prudes objecting to you know, their federal tax dollars may be funding some bare-breasted women, does it? So we took the photos around, and finally those photos made it up to the United States Congress, where at that time Senator Jesse Helms held up all of our photos before the Senate, and for the first time, both the House and the Senate voted to completely abolish the National Endowment for the Arts. So what I'm saying here is is that the media will always treat people like Delicate Anderson as some sort of prude that can't understand mild sexual depictions, and this is what his campaign is really all about. And that always upsets me that we're depicted that way because they know, at least in their head, they know we're never going to show the public what is really being funded because We wouldn't dare offend them. So we are now going to offend people and show some of the pictures, not the pornographic ones, but some of the pictures and what the content is in these books. So, Michael, can you pull up one of these pictures? Okay, here you have Erica Moan webcomic, Oh Joy Sex Toy. 
In a comic from November of that year, she talks about the first sex toy she ever purchased, a $10 bullet vibrator. All right, here we have, I was 11 or 12 years old the first time I can remember fantasizing about having a penis. Okay, this is a girl fantasizing about having a penis. Interest in erotic gay fiction has been so prevalent in my friendship, one could mistake it for a prerequisite. You can just imagine a middle, yeah. middle schooler reading this and what yeah. are they taking away from it. My deepest emotional relationships have always been with women. Did that mean I was a lesbian? But my sexual fantasies involved two male partners. Was I a gay boy trapped in a girl's body? Okay, Michael, I think that's enough for now. <laughs> we get the point. <laughs> the point be made. We can throw someone up maybe this later. This reminds me so much of the lady, and I think it was Loudoun County, who got up in front of the school board and started to read from the book, and they shut her down because it was too graphic and right, too obscene. Right, it was too vulgar. Right. Yeah. And it's like, this was, it was in the school library. So there you go uh, for people that are watching. And this was just the... The words, this was not the photographs that accompanied some of these pictures that show what the uh, delegate uh, was trying to explain that was very uh, offensive, if not outright obscene for minors to be viewing. Delegate, you had something to add. Well, yeah, so uh, you're right about the media categorizing these books as, you know, oh, you just don't like gay literature and so forth. And so we were very careful about suing uh, a Court of Mist and Fury as well, because that's a heterosexual book. And it's a book about abuse, um, a woman who's in an abusive relationship with, uh, uh, with a man. And so, uh, so what we started doing is we started publishing the pictures on Facebook um, of this book. And uh, Facebook banned us um, because the, the content was too uh, sexual. Um, and then uh, the media started reporting on it, and the media couldn't publish it because it was too sexual. And so they would block out the pictures and say, hey, these books are, you know, this material is too sexual. So uh, we've made some progress in Virginia Beach. Uh, the school board in Virginia Beach had uh, now found that uh, genderqueer is pervasively vulgar and has agreed to voluntarily remove it. Uh, they are in review of um, genderqueer, which is in a sixth grade library. Um, uh, in Virginia Beach, and uh, they are in review to determine whether that book should come out. And we did get um, another book called All Boys Are Blue, which is um, a, uh, a extremely uh, abusive sexual book um, uh, that uh, they pulled that one uh, out of the libraries as well. You know, the, the real problem that we're noticing here is, is that the majority of this um, hypersexual material is embedded in the gay literature. And, uh, you know, there, there are, um, that makes this um, easy to be attacked if you're going after as being somehow anti-gay or anti-trans or anti-LBGTQ, all of that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're standing pretty strong on a very simple concept that uh, the one thing that gay kids and straight kids and, and trans kids have in common is, is that they're children. And they don't, they don't have, you know, being gay or being trans doesn't mean you get an illustration on how to have sex. That's not what's supposed to be happening uh, at, in any concept. And so when you, when you keep the arguments clean, uh, it's really diffusing this spin that they've, uh, they've been trying to, uh, to engage and employ. Somehow this is an anti-gay, anti-LBGTQ uh, movement. It's certainly not. It's simply just saying, uh, parents should have the right 
to decide if their minor children have access to supersexual material, whether it's in gay literature, straight literature, uh, that's not the point. It's supersexual, and, and parents ultimately have the final say, not the school administrators, not the school librarian. Uh, it's the parents that get the ultimate say as to what their children have access to. And so Virginia Beach is also now implementing a policy which will take effect next year, which will require parents to have to sign a form as to whether children have access to uh, more of the sexual content books. So we are making monster uh, ch you know, improvements uh, in Virginia Beach um, uh, with, this, uh, with this lawsuit. And, uh, you know, all I can hope for is, is, you know, I can't represent everybody in the world, uh, but all I can hope for is that this is a little beacon of, of, of light and hope for people that just want common sense back. You know, we just want parents to be in the driver's seat. Uh, you know, the, the Women's Swimming Organization just found yesterday that biological males are different than biological females, and they're not going to let transgender uh, athletes perform in women's sports anymore. I mean, that's, that shouldn't have to be a deciding, somebody shouldn't have had to decide that, you know, with any seriousness. Of course they're different. And so we just, we're just looking for some normalcy to come back and not this hijacking uh, that the, uh, that's, been, that, that's been occurring uh, with really uh, Marxist intent. And so uh, I, I hope that this little spark uh, grows and more people throughout the country uh, find ways, creative ways to just ask courts limited questions. Not, not, not politically charged questions, just limited questions of should parents have a say in what their kids are doing, yes or no. And I think courts are generally going to be on the yes side of that most of the time. And that doesn't, there's no First Amendment right to distribute obscene materials to minors. There's none. And so we just have to, uh, I think, use the courts. It seems to me like it's a, it's a simple approach, just like DeSantis is, has taken in Florida, where all he said is that parents need to be involved in education. Well, Barnes & Noble had a response uh, to Delegate Anderson. Let me read it, and uh, Mr. Anderson, maybe you can respond to it. They say, we live in a diverse yeah. society. Ah, you love it, huh? We live in a diverse society, and that diversity of opinion is reflected in the books we carry on ourselves that cater to a wide range of interests to our customers. And therefore, they justify the ability for even a four or five-year-old to come up and read this book and look at the obscene pictures inside of it. So how many books does Barnes & Noble have about white supremacy on their shelves? Oh, that's a very good question. That's pretty diverse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, you know, they're going to try to spin it that way, but the, the, we're not trying to stop them from selling it. You can sell it all you want, but minors just shouldn't have access to it without their parents' consent. And, and it's, no, it's not an undue burden. Target can't sell violent video games to 14-year-olds, and Barnes and Noble shouldn't be able to sell super sexual books to minors. Period. It's not that hard of a it's not that hard of a concept for everybody to grasp. Well, when stores used to actually sell uh, the adult magazines, they would actually have to have black bags over them and stuff like that. That's that's not new at all, anyways. I mean, they've been censoring this for years to begin with. It was just more voluntary censoring and and like we said we didn't really show the brunt of the illustrations here right we just showed a couple slides and most of it is the text that you can read and i just want our viewers and our listeners to realize there was one slide there that we showed that really stuck out to me where the person posed the questions right it said does that make me a girl does that make me a boy trapped in a girl's body and it's so seductive in its language it's so crafty where, like 
Delegate Anderson mentioned, I mean, this is the content that's being spewed to middle schoolers. You know, my daughter's in middle school. I, I would rather die before I allow my daughter to read content like this. But we're, we're putting this material before these little children who are very impressionable, and we're posing these questions, and they're very thought-provoking, and then you're going to have little Johnny and little Jill say, wow, maybe I am a girl if I'm really a boy or vice versa. And it's it's very dangerous and it's very, very scary. Yeah, you know, so the New York Post ran an article uh, this week and it was called, I Literally Lost All My Organs. And it kind of goes with what you were just saying, Pastor. The immense amount of propaganda that's being pushed onto these kids to accept transgenderism, not necessarily because they are a boy or girl to think they're their opposite sex, but it's some type of psychological relief for the depression and loneliness that they're suffering, convincing them that, well, the reason why you feel this way and you are lonely and you are depressed is because you really you are a person trapped into an opposite sex gender. So let me uh, cite the couple of cases that they had. One was from Joel Cole. She was 12 years old when she decided to become a transgender. Now, importantly, she joined Instagram at 11 years old. Now I'm going to quote from her. I started being exposed to a lot of LGBT content and activism. I saw how trans people online got an overwhelming amount of support. And the amount of praise they were getting really spoke to me because at the time, I didn't really have a lot of friends on my own. Because my body didn't match beauty ideals, I started to wonder if there was something wrong with me. I thought I wasn't pretty enough to be a girl, so I would be better off being a boy. Hey, at 13, at 13, she was put on puberty blockers. At 15, she had a double mastectomy. And then a year later, at 16, she knew she made a mistake. There's a cottage industry out there that's trying to convince kids that it's, it's not so much that you are a person dropped into an opposite sex, they're trying to convince you that that is some type of utopia that you can gain if you change your gender, blaming all of your problems, all of your psychological ills on your, this dystopian view that you are really a person of the opposite gender. Yeah, Marty, coincidentally, I briefly mentioned that story in my sermon this past Sunday, and it's just, it's heartbreaking when you hear that, regardless if... It's your kid. It's not your kid. You know who this guy I mean, it, it's just heartbreaking because we're seeing the damage that's done. And like you said, this kid realized that several years later, I made a big mistake. And the headline, I believe, like you said, was I'm now missing organs. I literally lost my organs. Uh, yeah. And, and the reason why I mentioned that is, is because I was giving a Father's Day sermon and I was giving a call to the fathers to say, look, we need to step up. You know, let's be honest, the, the men in our society are so passive. We want to let our women take the lead role and we need to step up and say, look, I don't care whose kid it is. At the end of the day, it, they're God's children. They were made in his image and we want to return them back to their heavenly father. We want them to know that there's a God in heaven that loves them. And these kids are being just so manipulated by the enemy. And then they're coming out and they're saying, I shouldn't have done that. 
but they needed someone to step in the gap to remove this nonsense so they don't even know what this transgender garbage is. Yeah, they are being psychologically primed to believe that God makes mistakes, and not just some mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. Look how many kids now believe that they are somehow trapped into the wrong body. All that tells them that God is fallible. God makes mistakes, and not just little mistakes, huge mistakes when they actually made you a biological boy, but somehow also made you a girl at the same time that was more dominant. And this gets so confusing and frustrating. I think it's even difficult for most older people that I talk to to even wrap their heads around how confusing this is. And can you imagine a 12-year-old or less trying to figure it out? or even a 15-year-old trying to figure out. Speaking of which, here's another story from the New York Post. Helena Kirshner, she was born a biological female. At 14, she decided she was really a boy. She had a falling out with friends at school, but found friends on a, a transsexual internet community. And here is her quote. My dysphoria was definitely triggered by this online community. I never thought about my gender, or had a problem with being a girl before going on Tumblr. The community was very social justice -y. There was a lot of negativity around being a cis, being a heterosexual, being a white girl, and I took those messages really, really personally. So she decided she would become a boy and now regrets it. This, there is a cottage industry out there that's not just in the schools, it's in Hollywood. It's on Instagram. It's on social media everywhere. And it's being, you know, pumped up by the Hollywood actors and actresses out there that somehow this is the destiny for you to switch your gender because God made a mistake in your life. Now, if you're constantly told that God makes mistakes, how are you ever going to convince somebody that God has salvation for you? That God has a plan for you? I plan for your entire life. If he can't even get it straight and making whatever biological person that he made you to be. Okay, I'm on a rant. Somebody else can jump in here. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll jump in just for one second. And, you know, you guys are certainly the, the, the religious leaders, and that's fine. Um, I, I'll, I'll take it a little, a little bit step further. And uh, these materials are grooming materials. Um, in Virginia, we have a definition of grooming. Um, and uh, what, what, we, what we define it as is grooming is a, a cartoon, animation, image, or series of images depicting a child engaged in the fondling of sexual or genital parts of another or the fondling of his or own sexual or genital parts by another, masturbation, sexual intercourse, cunnilingus, fellatio, analingus, anal intercourse, and object sexual penetration. And, uh, you know, from a legal standpoint, um, if you give a kid a book that has children having sex in it, um, that's grooming. I mean, and, and, and there's, there's an intent, there's a criminal intent here um, uh, that, that we, you know, that they're scared to death about now because we're starting to talk about this from an obscene standpoint um, that, you know, you just can't hand this stuff out. Children's brains, we have an expert, we have a PhD who's going to weigh in and give us great expert opinion, but children's brains don't function like adult brains. And when they receive this too early, you can create a pornography addiction at 12 years old. And um, 
when we're, when we're talking about resetting moral fabric in a nation, you have to start by resetting the youth to where moral decency and, and the, the fabric of, of just right and wrong is eviscerated. And then you replace that with groupthink uh, that's controlled by Marxist-driven agenda uh, individuals. And a lady named Emily Drabansky, she's the leader of the American Librarian Association. And uh, on her Twitter, she just um, she t she calls herself a, a Marxist lesbian. Um, and you know, this is this is. I mean, obviously, you guys cover the spiritual side of things, but from the legal side of things, it's about erasing any kind of moral decency, creating children that are become addicted to pornography at 10 and 12 years old um, is purposeful. It's not accidental. And, um, and yeah, we need to stand up. It's not just for my kids, but if we don't, we're going to have a generation of kids that are raised thinking that it's okay um, to have, have, you know, to have, be giving oral sex to each other at 12 years old. Um, and uh, we've got to intervene. Uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm taking this case pro bono. No money involved here for me. This is so personal to me. Uh, I'm in this because uh, ultimately my children are still children, but uh, if we don't step up, we don't step up as a group, bind together, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to have a generation of just deviant um, sexual uh, pedophiles that are going to be, be raised up under this, uh, under this idea. It's very personal. What is the next step in your case, Delegate? What's the next date to look for? So we have a hearing on July 13th. Uh, everybody's filed motions to dismiss and uh, all of that. So we have a scheduling hearing on July 13th. And then we're probably going to have a, a, a full day hearing on everybody's complaints of why I'm so wrong. Um, and so that'll probably come in August. And then we'll have a, you know, I think we'll pass that. I think we'll get past it. And then we'll have a trial uh, September, October. And we're going to change the world. When, when it happens um, on, on this issue. Now, you know, they'll say, oh, well, your kids can get so much worse on their cell phones. And that's true. I mean, I, I understand that. But the difference between the cell phone and the books is that the adults are handing out the books. <laughs> and that's the difference. You know, it, it, as a parent, I don't have to give my kid a cell phone. And if I do, I can put restrictions on it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the idea is, is you don't hand it out as the adult to the child. That's where we have to step up and uh, say, no, that's wrong. And, um, uh, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see, you know, it's going to create a flashbang, uh, in Virginia and that's going to change things across the nation. I really do. Well, David out there in Ohio, you've been quiet so far, but I'm sure that you have something on your mind that you want to add to this conversation. And as an attorney, we'd love to hear from you. Well, I'm now more just as a parent, but, uh, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when teaching any kind of sex education, normal sex education in schools was controversial. Now we're having to fight the radical uh, trying to push abnormal sex education on kindergartners and first graders and second graders and third graders. That's just so very wrong. Uh, Mr. Anderson, I, I very much appreciate what you're doing and want to wish you the best of luck and, and, and go forward with that. Yeah, I would like to say thank you as well, because uh, my, my wife is, uh, I think, seven months pregnant, and uh, we're going to have a little baby boy. And uh, I've been terrified looking at what is possible to be going on in these schools. Uh, 
I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm glad to hear somebody is working on it because it is, it is not what I was hoping for when I, when I'm looking to send my kid to a school somewhere. And hopefully this is going to get better, and I appreciate you working on it. All right. So we had another subject that we wanted to bring up. We have all kinds of subjects we could talk about. Uh, but we wanted to bring up the new disinformation task force that Joe Biden has instituted. And it's not the same one that just got put on pause. But I guess we'll bring that up next week because that's a hot topic, at least for us. The major news media is kind of downplaying it. They're not talking about it. But then again, the major news media is not talking about uh, his Joe Biden's daughter claiming that she used to take showers with her dad. Now, now that's an interesting thing. And kind of wonder if it was Trump taking showers with his daughter, whether we'd be hearing more about that than we're hearing about Joe's uh, showering with his daughter. So uh, anyway, I guess we'll save that for uh, another time, perhaps next week. But uh, I want to thank uh, Delegate Anderson from coming for coming on our show today. And uh, it was a real pleasure and a real honor to have you on. We wish you the best of luck and Godspeed with your endeavors. We are going to pray for your victory. And uh, if you, so you have my email, so please send me updates. Maybe we can come out to one of the court hearings and, uh, uh, you know, stay on top of this case and report it to the people who follow our podcast and Christian Action Network about your progress. Because I think uh, everyone's going to be interested in how this all turns out. I certainly will remain interested. I think everybody around this table and David in Ohio are going to remain interested as well. So thanks for coming on. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this evening. And uh, we would like to see our Shout Out Patriot fans come back and join us next week. And uh, But for now, we're going to tell you a good night.